Chapter Five of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Heineman. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter Five: A Humble Friend. The last week of the Mrs. Melville's stay at Cross Hall had begun before Jane heard of the result of her application for the matronship of the institution. Mr. Rennie then wrote to her that the directors had appointed a widow, very highly recommended and apparently very well qualified. Miss Melville's letter had received careful attention and had favorably impressed all the directors, but her youth and her being unmarried were great objections to her, while the kind of housekeeping she had conducted at her uncle's was not likely to be the best school for the management of an establishment of this kind. Mr. Rennie was very sorry for Miss Melville's disappointment, but he could not suggest any other situation likely to suit her. Elsie jumped for joy when she heard of Jane's rejection, and kissed her sister over and over again. "'We shall not be parted, darling. You will not go to slave among strangers, and to be terrified by mad people. I cannot, really, I cannot, do without you. You are my muse and my critic, as well as my best friend and adviser.' Jane was not quite so much exhilarated by her failure as her sister, but Elsie's extravagant delight comforted her not a little. While they were talking over this matter, Jane was called away to receive the linen from the laundress for the last time, and to bid her good-bye. Peggy Walker was somewhat of an authority in the district, a travelled woman who had been in Australia and back again, and was now living with a family of orphan nephews and nieces, and an old man, their grandfather. Public rumour pronounced her a niggardly woman, for though she had property, she worked as hard as if she had nothing, and took the bread out of other folks' mouths. But as she was really an excellent laundress, she had the best custom in the neighborhood, and her honesty, her punctuality, and her homely civility had made her a great favorite with Jane Melville. "'I fear it must be good-bye this time, Peggy,' said she. "'Next week's washing must be given to other hands.' "'Ay, now, Miss Jean, ye dinna say so. I heard the new man was coming to the hall, but no so just very soon as that.' "'But ye are no going out of the place for good.' "'For good or ill, Peggy, we leave Cross Hall next Thursday.' "'And where are you going to?' "'I wish I knew. "'Preserve us, Miss Jean. "'Are you and Miss Elsie, poor bit thing, unacquainted with where you're going to?' "'It is only too true. "'Well, I am going to leave the place, too, but I can well where I am going, and that is to Edinburgh.' "'Why are you leaving Swinton? "'I thought you were doing very well here.' I don't say that I have any cause to complain of my prosperity here, but you see, Tam is wild to learn the engineering, and he wants to go to Edinburgh, where he thinks he will learn it best, and I don't like to let him go by himself. For though he is no a bad laddie, he is the better of a home and a head to it, and I would like to keep my eye on him. Grandfather makes no objections, and the barons are all keen for Edinburgh, so I am going to flit next week. As for leaving this place, I am sure I have been growled at quite enough about coming from Australia, and taking work away from my old neighbors, so I will try my luck where I don't know who I am taking custom from. I've been in, and got a house and a mangle in a nice quiet part of the town, no air far from Tam's place where he is going to work, and a healthy bit it looks too. Peggy, I wish I had your confidence and your reason for confidence. 
I, too, wanted to go to Edinburgh to try my luck there, but though my uncle spent quite a fortune on my education, and though I did my best to profit by it, I really can see no way of making my living. Hout-tout, said Peggy, no fear of you making a living. You could do that as well as me, but it is more than a living for yourself you are wanting. You are thinking of Miss Elsie, poor bit lassie, and would fain work for two. I mind well when my sister left the bairns to my care with her dying breath. I felt my heart our grit. It was more than I, a single woman, with but seven pounds by the year of wages, could hope to do to keep the bit creatures. But yet it was borne on my mind that I was to do it, and God be praised that he has given me the strength and the opportunity, and it is little burden they have been to any other body, and in due time, when they have got learning enough, and are come the length to get the passage, I will take them back with me to Melbourne, where their prospects will be better than in the old country. Oh, Peggy, would Australia suit us? Would you advise us to go there? No, Miss Melville, I scarcely think so. For the like of me, it is the best place in the world. For the like of you, I cannot be at all clear about it. I'll tell you my story some day, but not now, for I am pressed for time, getting everything in readiness for the flitting, and I want time to collect my thoughts. My memory is none of the best. But, Miss Melville, if I am not making too free, I have a little room in my new house that I would be blithe to let you and Miss Elsie have, and you could stay there quietly till something turns up for you. If we can afford the rent. Oh, the rent, said Peggy. You need not think about the rent. If you could only give the lasses a lesson in sewing, for I am no very skilful with the needle, and my hands are so rough with the washing and dressing that the thread eye hanks on my fingers. And make out my washing bills for my customers, that are not so methodical as yourself. As for writing and counting, it is my abomination. There need no rent pass between us. Thank you, Peggy, thank you. That will suit us nicely. But tell me, can we, that is, Elsie and me, can we live in Edinburgh on twenty-four pounds a year? I have known many a family brought up decently on as little or even less, said Peggy. But then they were differently bred from you, and could live hard. Porridge and potatoes and muslin kale was a salt herring now and then. Well, porridge and potatoes it shall be, said Jane, for three years, and then starvation if the world pleases. If God pleases, Miss Jane, the chief thing is for us to place our trust in him, said Peggy. You are right, Peggy, I suppose, but it is hard to unlearn so much old schooling and to accept of new teachings. Did your faith support you when you were perplexed and disappointed, when friends were unfaithful and the world hard and cruel? My trials have not been just like yours, but whatever God sent, he gave me strength to bear, and it will be the same with you, Miss Jean, if you put yourself humbly in his hands. But the old laird cared for none of these things, though I am sure when he left you so poorly provided for in this world, he behoved to have given you a good hold of the hope of a better. Besides that, it makes us contented with a very humble lot here below. I am, maybe, too free-spoken, Miss Jean, but I mean no disrespect. No offense can be taken where none is meant, Peggy, and friends are too scarce with us now for us to reject any good advice. I am very glad to know that we can subsist on our income, for I have not been accustomed to deal with such small sums. You have wealth of clothes, no doubt, enough to last you for a while, so there need be no outlay for that. 
and we have our own furniture too much i suppose for your little room we can sell the overplus when a push comes i do not think anything could suit us better than your kind offer i have heard said peggy that the folk hereabouts think you will be getting up a subscription they are very much mistaken said jane the hardest living is preferable to that i wish you could say that melbourne or any part of australia would do for us everybody was surprised when you returned to swinton so suddenly well i could send the barons more money from melbourne than i can make for them here and no doubt the folk thought me foolish to leave such a place but what good was the money to the poor things when there was no management for the old man is but silly and the bairns had mostly the upper hand of him though whiles they did catch it i have had my own ado with tam for the last two years i think i have got the victory now but i must try and keep it so as grandfather dreads the water i think i will stop in this country while he is to the fore and meantime the lads and lasses must have their schooling and tam his trade but i keep on clavering about my own concerns while you are in doubt and difficulties about yours when do you leave cross hall i should like to leave on wednesday for my cousin comes to take possession on that day and elsie cannot bear any one to see us bidding farewell to our dear old home i cannot just flit before thursday well i suppose we must stay to welcome the new owner i have no objection to doing so it may be painful to your feelings miss melville but yet i think it would be but right there are things you may mention to the new man that would do good to them that are left behind you that poor blind widow jeanie weir that you send her dinner to every day would miss her dole if it was not kept up and i know there are more than her that you want to speak a good word for i hear no ill of this meister francis and though we all grudge him the kingdom he has come into it may be that he will rule it worthily End of chapter 5 Recording by Amanda Hindman, Glen, Mississippi